0: Parenting is the process of eliminating your child's need for you. So I'm not saying that it will end your relationship. What I'm saying is, is that our job is to equip them to live without us. And that's the parenting process. And that's a picture of leadership is that you're preparing those who are coming behind you to replace you, to take what you have and go further with it.
1: Hi, you're listening to the Zan Tyler Podcast. Hi, my name is Zan Tyler, and this podcast is brought to you by BJU Press Homeschool. Homeschooling is an exciting adventure we take with our children. One of the most challenging parts of this journey is choosing the curriculum you want to use. BJU Press Homeschool is a curriculum you can trust. All the books, resources, and videos have been designed with you and your child in mind. Their curriculum is educationally robust and rich, taking into account that children have different learning styles, strengths, and needs. Mom, you are in charge. BJU Press Homeschool is here to come alongside and support you. Do you need help with the teaching load, or is there a subject you just don't want to teach? Their amazing video courses are available for all grades in almost every subject. BJU Press Homeschool believes that homeschooling can produce a new generation of students who know God, love their neighbors, and stand firm in their faith. For more information, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com. That's BJUPressHomeschool.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Zan Tyler podcast. I'm your host, Zan Tyler, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited today to have Roger Smith with me. Roger has been practicing internal and pediatric medicine since 1989, and he was just chosen as the Louisiana Rural Doctor of the Year. He and his wife, Jan, are the parents of four grown children that they homeschooled from kindergarten through high school, and they now have six grandchildren. Uh, Jan and Roger have also served on the board of the Louisiana Homeschool Association and NCFCA, which is a Christian Homeschool Debate League. Roger recently authored his first book, Parenting with Influence, which we will talk about later on today in our podcast. So, Roger, it's so great to have you here. Welcome. Welcome, my friend.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to interact with you and, uh, anytime we can be together and, uh, even if it's over these waves of internet. So, uh, it's great to see you.
1: That's right. So Roger, we, um, so, so, Roger and Jan are two of mine and Joe's very best friends, and we have this loose organization we call <laughs> Travel with a Purpose because we often find ourselves traveling the country or the globe together over homeschooling issues. Uh, just recently, it was really cool. The four of us spoke at a conference together in Manitoba, and we were the the four keynote speakers, Joe and I and Roger and Jan, and, and we, it was their first, um, real in-person event since COVID. So that was really fun, wasn't it, Roger?
0: It was, you know, just having, first of all, having the interaction with the crowd and they were so lively and so uh, eager to, to interact after being shut down for so many months. Uh, and then we also had the the chance to really get to know some of their communities. And that was, that was really interesting because there are so many things there that are um, you well they're different than the deep south
1: <laughs> yeah, yes and so unique it, it was it was really great it was and it was just like you say it was such a great time of ministry together but i want to talk about another trip we had together i guess this was 2019, maybe 2018, we were, Roger and Jan and Joe and I were asked to go on a missions trip to a couple of communist countries. And uh, so we were invited to talk about homeschooling at a number of churches. And the little caveat that made this so interesting is that homeschooling was illegal where we were speaking. So... (laughs) (laughs) So we, I can remember when our host asked me to go, I said, so if it's illegal, what are we going to be talking about there? And he said, well, then we're going to be talking about homeschooling. And I said, okay, but didn't you say it was illegal? And he said, listen, this isn't your first radio. You were threatened with jail here in the United States for homeschooling. So it was, I felt a, a little less protected because there was, there were no fourth, Amendment rights or due process laws in effect to protect us, but the Lord was good to us, wasn't He?
0: It was. It was a fun trip, and uh, I loved the, seeing the the kind of the first of people uh, encountering the idea of homeschooling, you know, you know the classic, the, the one lady that we had in the, in the second group that, that we addressed, she was seemingly very hostile and very uh, negative about any idea of the parents uh, uh, teaching their children, and that, that couldn't work, and that was impossibility, but as the day wore on, they, she heard the heart of the homeschool parent, and the heart of the, the parent toward the child and how wholesome that it was. And and it just, she blossomed like a flower. And at the end of the day, it was like she she didn't want us to leave and she wanted to talk more about it. And so that was the most dramatic part of it is that, you know, it wasn't, you know, we, we didn't talk about it from the standpoint of the academic success. We talked about it as how much it impacts the family. And that's what we can all identify with we want our families to be close and warm and 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 um connected love
1: each other yeah that's exactly right so it was it was really surprising i really didn't know what to expect i can say i was a little worried when we left but it was just a really special special trip
0: it so. was. Uh, it started with a bang when we got off the plane and saw machine guns.
1: Oh, oh that <laughs> so. was the story I was going to get you to tell. So we're in <laughs> one um, airport. Roger pulls out his phone to take a selfie of the four of us just standing outside the airport. And before we know it, we are surrounded by... Yeah,
0: yes, these uniformed <laughs> guys that said, no photo, no photo.
1: <laughs> he he had- knew that.
0: He knew that and little bit of English. they had machine
1: guns. Yeah, it that's was right. like these were not pistols; these were no. uh, machine guns, and, <laughs> and, and there were more machine guns than there were the four of us. So <laughs> that's uh, right. So, so we yeah, had, that they
0: got our attention really fast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> we said, "We are not in Kansas anymore." <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, we stayed in a posture of prayer the whole time we were there, but it, yes. it does make us, we, we developed a lot of friendships with people while we were there that we still keep in touch with all four of us. And uh, it, it, in the first place, it makes us appreciate the freedom we have in this country, even yes. in spite of everything we've been through as a culture the last few years. And it, it reminds us that um, freedom Freedom is an amazing thing and we need to pray for our friends and our, our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. So Roger, tell me how you and Jan started homeschooling when you started homeschooling and how you got into homeschooling.
0: Well, you know, we all had, uh, an introduction somewhere to the idea. And, um, and we were teaching Sunday school at our church when I was in medical school. Uh, We had a fifth and sixth grade class, I believe it was. Uh, And uh, we were having a a Saturday afternoon party at our little uh, duplex apartment. And uh, at at that same time, we were expecting the arrival of a new associate pastor from, it was coming to us from Oregon. He was a friend, a seminary friend of our pastor. And uh, so he came by the house dropped off his children that were in the 5th and 6th grade age group and went on to do other things you know that was the, these children's first introduction to louisiana and uh but they were bright they were engaging they 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 were not afraid of the adults they were not afraid of the children they were knowledgeable uh i said something is different about these children let's get to know them and lo and behold they were home educated and that was our introduction to home education and we said there's something going right in this process and we need to understand this and this was before we had children you know uh so not not even school age children we had no children at all uh and but uh jan was so um she was frustrated with her school experience. She was bored most of the time, and uh, so she's when she heard of homeschooling, she was the early adopter. It says, "Here it is. This is the way we're going to educate our children because we don't want to make them endure, you know, the the slow pace and the uh, of of school." Uh, and at any rate, that was our introduction. And so several years later, after we had encountered other families, and we said, "Okay, this can be done." this looks wholesome and it allowed us to live in a certain type of way because I had a busy, busy practice. My schedule was crazy. And so it afforded us the opportunity to have time with our children on the schedule that I had by force. You know, I was, uh, I didn't have a lot of choices. And so we adjusted, it gave us the opportunity to not only control the content of their education, but also the timing of it. And so, uh, it was a great fit for us. And, and, we were nervous and scared just like everybody else that gets started, but uh, it it made all the difference for us.
1: Hey, Roger, tell us how you organized your time in the morning so that you, t- you had time in family devotions with your kids yeah. before you went to the office yeah. or the hospital uh, or wherever it, you were not we, did,
0: we, didn't, we didn't start this way. Uh, I, uh, actually, I'll tell how we started. Uh, I, I, my goal was to be at the hospital by six in the morning and so children are normally not up at six in the morning <laughs> so uh you know uh i i i started at a you know uh kind of like at a sprint in the morning seven o'clock and i was going nonstop. stop i would come home for lunch and um uh, my office was just a block and a half from the the house so i could come home for lunch uh, have a little window of time uh, with the children and Jan before I went back to the office, and then it was till eight o'clock at night. So, Jan went to a homeschool conference um, one year that I was not able to go, and she interacted with one of the speakers who, who talked about the value of the father setting the uh, spiritual tone of the of the day, and uh, she uh, said, you know, uh, my husband start leaves at six and, you know, and, uh, he said, well, I think you ought to get the children up at five. She said, don't you think that's a little legalistic? He said, Oh, no, I don't think you have to do it. I just think that it would bless your family. Well, we didn't get the children up at five, but it made us think about, is there another way of doing our day? And so I reordered some things that I could control. And I took that lunchtime that I was coming home with the family and I moved my hospital rounds to that time period so that I could start my day with the children at 7 they did get up at 7 and um and so we would have uh, a breakfast together uh, I would lead a spiritual discussion sometimes it was very uh simple other times it was more involved but nonetheless I started the day with the children with some scripture memory, some scripture story. Maybe we discussed the you know, the ideas of a hymn and the lyrics of the song, uh, any number of things. But it wasn't so much the content that we covered, but it was the atmosphere that it set for the day that this was important to me and this was important for our family. And, um, so, um, it gave us a good time to get the day started and, um, we look back on that time as pivotal, pivotal when we made that change.
1: Pivotal and precious. And in the years passed so fast, I used to hate it when I was a young mom and people would say, enjoy (laughs) the time you have with your children, because sometimes you have so much pressure as a homeschooling mom or dad, you feel like it's just never going to end your whole life is going to be like this pressure cooker all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then one day your children do walk out the door to assume their own lives. And you're so glad you had that time. Yeah. You know yeah. So, okay. So Roger, do you have a favorite Bible verse or a corralling spiritual principle that was important to you as a homeschool dad?
0: Oh, my goodness, Zan, you shouldn't have blindsided me with this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do. I do have I do have. a No, I have a mantra and um, my heart would just start beating out of my chest as I started thinking about it. M- my mantra uh, came out of Proverbs. And uh, at the moment, I can't think of the reference. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, 16th chapter of Proverbs it says what is valued in a man is his kindness. And that really has been tall marching orders for me is because um, I just felt like whenever I read that in college, I was I was uh, reading the scriptures, memorizing a lot of things. And that that passage to me jumped out out of the page. It was like as someone spoke, shouted into my ears, this is what your life should be described as kind. And um, it, it is it marked it marked my path that uh kindness uh, is a key component, and that's something that we talked with our children about there's something that we s- sought to have sought, continue to work on being kind with others, kind in our words, kind in our the way we think about others, and so that that did color a lot of the interaction we had with the children, you know, even whenever they were
1: acting. In a tussle.
0: <laughs> Yes, I was trying, trying to figure out a a, uh, comfortable word here when they were in conflict with one another. We needed to resolve the conflict, but we needed to resolve it in a kind way. And um, so that just that that colored everything, you know, kindness with the friends. Uh, So uh, that that is uh, that doesn't sound like a uh, parenting verse. But oh my us, goodness, Roger, was. but
1: it just, des- it describes who you are and it describes yeah. who your family is. And it explains why you were the, the choice for the rural physician of the year, because you not <laughs> only are that way with your parents, you're that way with your friends, you're that way with your patients. You're one of the kindest people I know. And uh, so well, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. That is powerful. Yeah. Um, one thing well, you, you talked about, you talked about conflict. Um, this wasn't in like what we talked about, but I remember Emily, your daughter, Jan and Roger have three boys and a daughter, Emily, whom we love. And she said one time that one of the favorite things you did in your family was family court. Will you explain (laughs) that? Will you explain that to what family court is? Yes.
0: Yeah, we didn't didn't come up with the name. The children came up with the name. They called it family court. (laughs) And uh, we didn't know what to call it. We just knew that uh, we did not uh, want them to come to physical blows uh, and that yet we had to deal with conflict because it happens. It's just a normal part of life. And it is not something, it's not a sign that your children are wicked or bad or or that things are wrong. Sometimes it's a sign that things are going well, that there is friction, you know, there's movement, you know, progress produces friction, which, you know, anyway. So, so, um, when, anytime we started this very early, we felt like, it's better to deal with trouble in shovelfuls rather than truckloadfuls and so any conflict we you know we'd say they were fighting over who got the pencil <laughs> you know and we saw one did you know there was things that happened so we said, okay, sit down, you're gonna face one another and someone gets to talk first we got we chose who got to go first it didn't I, I don't know how we chose, but sometimes it might have been who seemed to be the biggest uh the one causing the most trouble but anyway one person said okay uh, we'd say what happened and this person would say who did what who said what you know and then we say then what did you do because <laughs> they would always talk about the other person <laughs> right, so uh right. so so uh we'd say then what did you do or what did you say and uh and they would describe it and we'd say did that, how do you think they felt when you did or said that? And they would have to describe it. He said, is that what you wanted? Uh, and uh, so we went back and forth with these little questions, this one person. The other the other person couldn't answer. We just said, no, you got to listen. So it taught them to listen. And then when it came their turn, we turned to them and said, okay, so what do you have to say? How, what do you think happened? And they would get to tell their part. And uh, we could say to the other person, is that true? If they, if they told a different story, you can say, is that true? Uh, and uh, so it was a process of we learning to ask the questions, and then we would ask them, how do you think that made the other one feel? You know, we would name them, say, how do you think they felt when this happened? So we wanted them not only identify their own feelings and their own thoughts, their own loss but we wanted them to learn to be able to think about the other purposes of loss and so it was an ongoing process and, and it seemed like it would never end you know whenever they're little it's at every turn but we felt so that it was the most important thing that we did with our children to help them to know how to manage conflict and not destroy the try to destroy the person who they were in conflict with, and so later in life, uh, uh, every one of the children, especially the first two, have said in in their college relationships they would see things happen and they'd say, "Hey, wait a minute, why did you say what you said? What do you think that person felt?" You're, they were doing the same things with their friends that we had done because they could see the benefit. To trying to understand the communication pattern and helping people to move to a a more resolution mindset, a kinder approach to issues. And, um, so the, there, there wasn't a prescription. We didn't, we didn't have a script. No one taught us how to do this. We made, we probably, you know, caused some emotional trauma to those children, but you know, really.
1: No, no and, and but, you know, I, I think on the outside looking in when you're homeschooling, you see all these other families out in public and you think these are perfect families. And I want my family and my children to be perfect, too. But what you don't realize is by homeschooling, you're really inviting more conflict than less conflict because you're home together all the time. And the value in that, I mean, you know, if you're if you're all in different places, eight hours a day, there's a whole lot less conflict because nobody's together but there's real benefit in being together and resolving that conflict and learning to love each other, just like you were talking about. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the things that we saw is that uh, families who were going to be putting their children on the bus in the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes, they could avoid the conflict. They could just, or just ignore it, you know, and not really resolve it. But when we were going to be there looking at one another all day, we had to deal with it. And so it, We we learned a little by little how to resolve it. And so that that's one of the huge benefits, I think, of home education is that you have enough time to learn how to communicate with one another uh, and learn how to forgive one another. Learn how to, you know, tolerate, you know, tolerate is a bad word, you know, how to love one another uh,
1: and live side by side. Yes. And understanding. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. All right, Roger, there's one other thing that y'all did such a great job of teaching your kids that I want to talk about for just a minute. And that is, you and Jan are quite the entrepreneurs, and you taught your children how to run businesses of their own. So talk about how that came about, um, how you, I mean, there was a lawn business, there were rental property, and how you involved your children.
0: You know, it it started real small and uh, that there's a real benefit to that is that um, here's this old adage that uh, I learned when I was in college uh, says, grow into business, don't go into business. And and that really described how we did with entrepreneurial mindset is that that the oldest child uh, really kind of got us star started. We, we weren't planning to go down this path that early, but at seven years old, he had seen me mowing the yard and he thought that looked like lots of fun. And, uh, yeah. there, there was a vacant lot on, on the corner of the, between our house and my office, and it was being un, uncared for. And he said, uh, he, he looked up at Jan and said, mom, can I mow that yard? And <laughs> we thought, what you're too little and uh so so she thinking that it would end it said well if you can show me that you can mow our yard then i'll let you see about mowing that other person's yard and of course that corner lot was totally vacant it had no obstacles or anything no trees no flower beds nothing and so so she got him out in the backyard and and we gave him some safety lessons and Got the lawnmower started and he, he, uh, lo and behold, that little red faced sweaty boy, he, he was determined to prove to us that he could use that lawnmower. And he did, you know, it took, it took him a, a little while, but not, not very long, you know, a few attempts. And we went, okay, I guess you can do this. And so, um, but we said, this is more than just mowing grass. This is a mindset of, He's going to mow that yard and it's a value to someone else. So let's teach him about how business works. So he wrote a letter to these people who owned the lot. They didn't live in our state anymore. He said, uh, can I mow mow your yard for you? I'll do it for such and such a fee. (laughs) He would have done it for nothing, (laughs) but, uh, but it was a value to them. And, uh, so, that's that began the business of him learning how to write an invoice and a letter to the the people, receive the money, and then we had to figure out what was he going to do with that money? Where did he keep it? How did he plan to use it? You know, so that started with just small amounts of money, and but we uh, we had some other little projects, and they were getting a little bit more money. We said, okay, we got to have a bank account. So uh, so we got him a bank account. They wrote checks, and they were. 10 and 11 years old. Uh, They bought their own equipment for the lawn business and they went and recruited their own lawns. I I don't know what people were thinking when they showed up and there was this 10-year-old kid saying, can we mow your yard? (laughs) But uh, they did. So it started that way. And little by little, we involved them in more and more things that we were doing as a family, that some of our family businesses. And so They learned to handle money and not be impressed with the fact that there was a stack of bills and uh, bills as in uh, cash. So we didn't want them to be impressed with money. So they needed to handle it and know what, you know, go into the bank and talk to the bank people. And uh, so so that the business world was not uh, frightening and unknown to them. And so it started. It started with one one vacant lot on the corner, and little by little, before before long, they had their own businesses.
1: You know, it it is interesting because it does take the intimidation factor out of things. I know that when yes. I was lobbying, the boys would come with me. And so many people aren't involved politically because it's intimidating. Same reason people don't start their own businesses. It's intimidating. Right. They right. lived at the state house long enough with me that they weren't intimidated and they weren't very impressed either. And, it, you know, it, it gave them a heart for the law and public policy and those types of things. Yeah. But, Roger, I know that your kids also worked with rental property yes. with you. Yes. Learned I- how to fix things and build. Yes. and.
0: You know, I had two reasons for getting rental properties. Uh, One, my oldest son wanted to speak for a living. And uh, I said, okay, you could could possibly make a living speaking, but that comes and goes. You know, even the best, you know, the most uh, productive uh, professional speakers are going to have time periods where there's no events. I said, you've got to have some foundation to your income. So we need to find a a passive form of income. And so, uh, you know, I learned about, We went to some real estate conferences and to learn to say, okay, could this possibly work? And he was uh, 15 at the time Uh, and he was already dreaming of writing and speaking. And so uh, so we we investigated that and we so one, it was for future income for him. But secondly, I was determined that I wanted them whenever they started their family and when they bought their first house, that they would know more about the house itself. Than I knew when I built the, the house that I live in now, uh, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know enough, and so uh, we bought properties that they could learn to fix the plumbing and uh, do some electrical work, and you know, repair the floors and hang a door and uh, replace a window pane and any number of things that you know. On a rental property, it doesn't matter if you get it. Not quite right. You you want it to be to work, but if it's not perfect, you you know it's a good place place to practice. So that was one of the reasons that we got the the rental properties is so that they could learn how to do some simple things. I, and I told them, I don't care if you ever do this another time in your life. When you hire somebody to do this at your house, you at least know what you're hiring them to do, and uh, and you know what its value is. You know, maybe you never want to crawl under a house again and fix a a a, a, a drain pipe, said. So, uh, but you at least know what's involved, and you'll know which ones you don't want to do yourself.
1: And you so, know that was, and it's such an important part of their education, along with the bookwork. And I, I know that it, academics are important to you and Jan. You're both yeah. well educated people, but the things you did for your kids. And teaching them how to fix things, how to run businesses, just real life skills are things yep. that, you know, is just one of those benefits of homeschooling that might not be apparent to people on the outside looking in. And so moms and dads, if you've got young kids, you have so much to look forward to in terms of the Things you can teach them as a part of their school day. These life skills. People don't have life skills anymore.
0: Right. And, you know, I, I didn't have some of the life skills that I wanted my children to have, so we learned together. So, and, and YouTube saved the day. You know, <laughs> yes. anytime we we'd go, I don't know what to do here. We would go to YouTube and look at some things and try to figure it out. And then, you know, and, and so we also were not afraid to fail. That was another thing is that it's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mess of something. And um uh, and we just had fun making a mess, you know. <laughs> if if uh we tore up something, we just knew that okay, we we tore that up and and that was the cost of the lesson. So um that that fear of yes. failure, you know, they say Michael Jordan the reason why he was such a a basketball great is that he had no fear of failure and that, you know, he missed more shots than he made. And, you know, and many, many other things, but uh, his claim to fame is that he was not afraid to fail. And that's one thing that we wanted our children to know is failure is not final.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's powerful. Um, I know another thing that you had your kids involved in was 4-H and not everybody in the country has access to 4-H, but I just know what your kids learned through yeah. raising animals. You have horses, all types of life le- life lessons along those lines as well. Sure,
0: you know, and and 4-H has really changed a lot because they realized that it, it could no longer be just cows and curtains. You know that uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that good. that you know because. And, and and I stole that from them. Uh, that's not original to me, but nonetheless, uh, you know the old the old thought about 4-H was that it was livestock and sewing and you know, you know cooking and things like that. But they they uh, have moved to more leadership, communication, even technology and uh, you know uh, computers and uh, any number of uh, technological uh, uh, projects and activities and learning opportunities. But but for our children, uh, we we found not just in 4-H, but any youth organization uh, that has been around a while, they're focusing on leadership development alongside all of these different skills. So um, our children did raise some livestock, but, you know, mostly what they learned was how to interact with professionals in their field. Mm-hmm. And so um, they... so if they were competing, um, and with the livestock, they had to interact with a veterinarian. They had to interact with someone who was a specialist in the feed or, you know, or the performance of the animal or different things. And they were adults, but they began to be unafraid to ask the specialist to help them. And, okay. um, so,
1: all right, so I'm going to interrupt you here because I think that these are such important life lessons too. Again, it's not, always something you think about when you think about homeschooling is your children are not in a room with 20 other people their same age who are limited in knowledge, just like they are. They're exposed to the adult world, and they learn how to interact with adults, and they learn how to talk to adults and think like adults, and they learn to become adults. And I I just think that's that's really powerful. Roger, this is a great segue into your book, talking about how our children learn how to deal with adults and leadership. So the name of Roger's book is Parenting with Influence, Shifting Your Parenting Style as You and Your Child Grow. Uh, Because in your book, you say that parenting is really about leadership, which that quote, I studied leadership, that quote really caught my attention. So tell me why you say that in the book.
0: Well, the parent's role is um I describe it this way. Parent parenting is the process of eliminating your child's need for you. And that sounds rather shocking, you know. Uh but it, in reality is that we're we're helping them to adulthood where they really don't need us anymore. They can live without us. They but naturally, as long as we're alive and we're in great relationship, you know there'll be times that they call upon us and and get our advice or our perspective or just want to have our approval uh, and uh, so I'm not saying that it will end your relationship. What I'm saying is is that our job is to equip them to live without us, and that's the parenting process, and that's a picture of leadership is that you're preparing those who are coming behind you. To replace you and uh, are to to take what you have and go further with it. And so that's just a picture of leadership. And, and so we, um, we that's why I say parenting is leadership.
1: Well, okay, so one of the things I love about your book is you talk about the difference in having rules and regulation and having relationship with your children. And I know that there are times when our children are young that they have to have rules so that they don't hurt themselves. But we also, you also talk about the importance of relationship. This is a parenting book, but the thing that you and I both love about homeschooling the most is that it develops relationship with our kids. Yeah, so there's no, just, no doubt. So talk for just a minute about how we move from rules to influence.
0: So uh, early early in the the child's life their developmental understanding really is is more about behavior and the and and so the external components, you know, whether they can touch the hot stove or whether they can crawl across the room or what, you know, it's all uh, about the physical outworkings, but in reality, is we're we're moving to the point where not only are they just not not able to do something physically, but we want them to think right about it. We want them to make good decisions. We want to, them to have desires and goals that drive them forward, and that's more of a. Uh, intangible. But that's not where children start. So we start with just teaching them to control, to limit their physical activity. And and so it is very rules-based. You can't do this. You can't do that. You got to sit in the car seat. You have to, you know, any number of rules. It just seems like it's an endless uh, number. Well, maybe not endless, but there are a lot of rules in a the lot. early stages, yeah. a lot of rules in the early stages, and we establish control, and I relate it a lot to the way we are with horses, is that as we're training a horse, and we, we start with one that has never been ridden, we we have a lot of very rigid ways of handling it, so that we teach them what to expect, and what is desired behavior, and desired responses, and the more they understand that, the more f- freedom we give the horse, you know, more options for response. And so, um, looking not to say that children are horses by any means, but it's just a picture of how early on it's much more focused on rules. But the more competent we become with rules, the more free we could become or we should experience with it. So it's just like driving a stick shift car, you know, at first. If you've ever driven a manual transmission many 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 of our listeners may have never driven a manual transmission so that may be not a good example so uh but at first you you have to think about oh i'll oh, put it, man, push it, it on my, my clutch foot and then i have to push it up you know put put it up in first gear and I uh, light lit off a clutch at the same time you know you're thinking about all the little components of it but uh every little move is almost like a rule and um uh, then but before long you're shifting gears and don't even remember that you have shifted the gear because it has become ingrained and so the more we 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 know what is desired behavior the more we spend our time on the character and the the inner qualities that's going to help them to make their life decisions so so we, as they grow, we have to shift in how we relate to them. And that's the whole premise of the book is that children are changing and growing. And we've got to change and grow with them. And if we're trying to handle a, a, an 18-year-old the way that same way we'd handle a 6-year-old, a we are making a mistake and messing up. And we are actually creating a lot of trouble for ourselves, not only the child. And so... You know, uh, it, That's, that's what what, we tried to explain that, that the transition process.
1: I love what you say in the book. Relationship is the key to parent, uh, to preventing or resolving resentment and rebellion. Wait a minute. Let me reread that. Hold on. Relationship is the key to preventing or resolving resentment and rebellion. Yeah. Powerful.
0: Yeah. Our relationship is, um, is not about rules. And, um, you know, that's part of our experience with our children, but uh, relationship is our valuing of one another and and knowing one another and realizing, you know, what your strengths and weaknesses are and um, hoping the best for one another. And so we, we I talk a lot about that in the book, uh, but uh, <clears throat> the the basis of influence, which is what I have and what you have with your children today. Okay, you don't have rules for your, you know, forty-year-old son. Uh, oh, I guess he's a little older than that now. Anyway, but he's in that range. <laughs> so mine are in their late thirties. Uh, so anyway, so we don't have rules for our children. We, our, our, in our relationship is an influential relationship, and that's rooted in how we see one another. And so, uh, look. Little by little with our small children, we have to be building that relationship that we can depend on for the years where we can no longer control them. We lose control naturally. That's right. So what, what we're left to work with is influence. And, and that's, in rooted, that's rooted in the relationship. That's yes, right. Yes. And So if we don't work on the relationship because all we ever work on is the rules, then we're, we're on a path to uh, lots of trouble.
1: You know, it's interesting because you talk about doing your internship in Lexington, Kentucky. Our daughter, Lizzie, went to a college not far from Lexington. And (coughs) you talk about Joseph Beth Booksellers in here. That was my favorite bookstore in the entire world. I couldn't believe we also had that in common. Um, Wow.
0: So uh, (laughs) we we didn't even know the name of the bookstore. All I knew was we were too poor to buy a book from there, <laughs> but they had a lot of books. And when we were hopeless and oh, when we were, we, yes. And when we felt like we did not have the tools to do a good job as a parent, Jan, went I sent her down there, one very discouraging night to say, go read for some, get some ideas from somebody else. And she, you pulled down the the strong-willed child by James Dobson and and sat there and cried and at the end of a, of a row,
1: sat uh, on the floor and read. Yeah,
0: that's right. Sat on the floor where no one could see her crying, searching for some help, some hope. And and she, you know, we didn't find a solution. And sometimes the solution is not you know some trick or some immediate fix that we if we do this one thing everything will be fine. What she found out is that even in the midst of it being very, very hard, we were doing a lot of things right and that we just needed to give time for both us and our child to grow. And that gave enough hope just to kind of hang in there. And parents get tired. You, you the conflict is hard you,
1: work. Yes. Where is you, you down? And you yeah. think.
0: I'm, nothing is happening here. You know, I see nothing good happening, but we lose perspective. We just lose perspective. And that's, that's what she gained that night sitting in Joseph Beth bookstore. Uh, and, she uh, couldn't
1: afford to buy the book. We couldn't afford know? to
0: buy the book. You know, yes, uh, I think eventually we got a copy. But, but uh, <laughs> at that time, we were choosing between uh, milk and gas money. And, right,
1: um, because you were so, doing your residency.
0: That's right. Yeah, we were poor as church mice. And uh, I don't even know where that phrase came from. But anyway.
1: <laughs> it's a good one. So, hey, so so,
0: so, she would catch a ride to the grocery store so that she didn't have to buy gas to go. And uh, so, that, so that little bit that we would save, we could buy another gallon of milk.
1: And, you know, now it's it's interesting what the Lord has done for y'all at the main place. And you have a home where you practice hospitality to hundreds of people a year. It's really a gift. Um, So there's one thing I want to say in the book. Um, There are two things I want to point people to in the book. One is just this comment where you say that Jan prepared your children to succeed. That is so powerful to me because that's not often how we think about preparing our children, preparing them to succeed. And sometimes we get, we get depressed by the way we see them progressing and we forget that it's a long game. Gosh, I just love that, Roger. That is so good. So, So
0: how that, that actually played out, um, and, and and that sounds like a very giant task, but when when she broke it down, uh, our our favorite example of it was my, in my residency. We oftentimes had a uh, a picnic. You know, once a year they would have something where it was pleasant for us. You know, and so uh, Jan would bring the children to the picnic, uh, and all the other faculty would be there. The residents. Right. And she would explain to them who was going to be there, what was the desired behavior, what was going to be allowed, what were things that might frighten them. You know, she helped them to know before they got out of the car what what was desired behavior, what would honor us. And so it was little things like that that helped them to succeed in that, that encounter. And she would do the same thing at the grocery store when she went to the doctor's office or whenever she, anywhere she went, she was masterful in helping, setting them up for success and and And, not waiting until they were out of bounds and then being angry with them.
1: And I think that's a principle we can use throughout our lives with our kids and our grandkids. In every situation, whether it's small or huge, thinking how we can set them up for success. Hey, listen, there's one other thing I want to talk about in your book. Um, Again, this book is Parenting with Influence. And in a minute, Roger, I'm going to get you to tell people how they can get a copy of it. But at the end, there's an appendix, open-ended questions, and conversation fuel. And it teaches you how to ask questions of your children at different ages, this is worth the price of the book right here. So I really, and Roger, you're the master question asker. I, I can still see you when we went on, um, we were on a cruise with the Florida uh, Home Education Association, and yeah. I can still see you with your cards that were questions to ask people at dinnertime. So so you're, you're a master at that. But this this part of the book, is just worth to me the whole price of the book. I've pulled it out, and I'm going to be using it with my um, grandkids who are all different ages uh, at dinner the next time they come over. So, Roger, tell us how people can find you and how people can get a copy of your book.
0: My website is uh, has my name in it, RogerSmithMD dot com, and uh, so at that website we have the book for purchase. Uh, We'll have other things. Uh, I'm going to put together some conversation cards also that will be uh, available, and we use those whenever we have people over. We will have things to guide the conversation. We'll give everybody or let them draw a card, you know, and it's something just to keep us from talking about the same old things over and over and over. And, and so uh, learning to have conversation um, is one of those things. So at uh, rogersmithmd.com, uh, uh, the book is also available on Amazon, so I understand now. My son uh, bought one off of Amazon. I said, I would have sent you one. And he said, <laughs> anyway... So now I know it is it was supposed to be on Amazon. So you can find it on Amazon. Uh, but uh you also can get it directly from us at uh, RogersmithMD.com. Uh one other thing we haven't talked about is I, I do have this uh Facebook video blog uh with parenting tips, you know, and so I use usually give a two to four minute video on one little parenting tip, and I seek to do those weekly. Uh, that's uh, on Facebook at Parenting Matters Now. Parenting Matters Now.
1: Yeah, and th- those are fabulous. If you've not seen those by Roger, I really encourage you to tune into those. Those are great. Well, Roger, thank you so much for being with me today. You are always. You, you and Jan have been such encouragements to Joe and me. And I know you encouraged parents here today. So thank you so much for being with us.
0: It was my pleasure. My pleasure
1: thank you so much for joining me today i hope this was encouraging and inspiring for you if you would like more information you can find me at zantaler.com until next time see you later